This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Hello, everyone. My name is Owen. Uh, Sam referred to me, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. It's great to have you with us if you're here for the first time. Friends, it's lovely to see you. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks myself, so it's been great to catch up with you all. And if you're at home or listening, this is retrospectively, we hope that you are doing great and having a good week as well. So um, this morning, we're going to be interviewing David in a moment. and uh, But I just wanted to sort of provide a bit of context to it. We have been doing the last nine months two box set series. When we talk about box set series, we're talking about the content we provide from the stage here, but also online in our podcasts and in our online videos on YouTube that you can catch up on everything that goes on here at Seven, all the content we produce, um, which is all designed to help us with our spiritual and emotional health and uh, our relationship with God. So if you're interested in listening to any of this stuff again, the stuff we're referring to, then just go back to our YouTube site, our website, or indeed our uh, podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, but we've been doing two mini box sets, and uh, Claire has been doing uh, a box set series on what is God-like, um, and I've been doing a box set series on um, seeing Christ in our everyday lives. And uh, the reason for that is a passion that I share with the Apostle Paul, which is I believe that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, Paul, the Apostle, spends his whole life, from the moment he discovers this, um, he, he spends his whole life proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And it's such it's so central to his proclamation of the gospel, if you like. That is the good news as Paul sees it. And so this is why we're doing this box set series on seeing Christ in our everyday lives. And I hope that if you've been listening to the talks, you have been able to grasp some of that for yourself, that actually you've been inspired to see Christ in your everyday lives. Now, um, today I'm uh, going to continue with uh, seeing Christ in our everyday lives. And if you have listened to the talk that I gave called Christ is not Jesus' surname, you'll know that actually uh, that is a little phrase, a title that was applied to Jesus of Nazareth retrospectively. So the, uh, the early followers of Jesus, people you named you're familiar with, Paul, Peter, John, um, and many of the other disciples of Jesus, they went on to uh, really proclaim Jesus was the Christ. And we see their conviction in the writings uh, that they gave. So, for instance, in Acts 2.36, following the resurrection of Jesus, Peter says this in Acts 2.36, and he's giving a speech. So, all the people of Israel should know this truly, because he's speaking to all the Jews in Jerusalem. God has made this Jesus, the man you nailed to the cross, both Lord and Christ. Uh, And then um, uh, writing in... uh, in Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians 1, 15, 17, the Son, that is Christ Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him everything holds together. I just want to draw your attention to that, because that would be a, possibly a passage you've heard said before. Remember, he's talking about a man called Jesus of Nazareth. He's talking about an everyday guy. That's quite an astonishing statement. Let me just read it to you again. He's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. The Son, Christ Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him everything holds together. It is no wonder that Paul was attacked and criticized widely. 
He was condemned for his beliefs about this man called Jesus because he makes these incredible statements about him. And then we read in John, in John's account of Jesus, um, which we read uh, and we know, um, uh, we know this book by the name of John. Uh, It's John 1, 1 to 3. And this is what John says about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was God in the beginning. And through him, referring to Jesus, All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's talking about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. The most influential disciples of Jesus, Peter, John and Paul, all state that Jesus was the Christ who is everything and holds everything together. It is an astonishing claim. And it's one that Christians sometimes miss because we're so familiar with it. But it's an astonishing claim. And I don't think we fully get it. So I'm just going to give you a metaphor to really get it, uh, to try and get it. But to be honest with you, it's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor, uh, and it should be treated as a metaphor, i.e. it's not a perfect representation, okay? A metaphor is, it's like this, you know, it's like that. I mean, how do you describe coffee? Well, it's brown, it's liquid, and it kind of gives me a high when I drink it, all right? That's coffee. But it's, it's just, you know, it's like a brown liquid doesn't really cut it. I mean, that doesn't really sound that appealing, does it? So metaphors aren't perfect. Um, they, aren't, they, aren't, they aren't the exact representation. They're just a, a tool that we use to help us get a different perspective on something we're trying to communicate. So here, this is a metaphor and it's not perfect. So in the 20th century, scientists discovered that everything in the whole universe, including you and me, is made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Yeah? We've all heard that probably if we studied a GCSE, science, chemistry, physics. And at a subatomic level, protons, neutrons, and electrons are in everything. They're in you. So your basic makeup is protons, neutrons, and electrons. That wall is made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. We're made of the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. That stuff, at our very subatomic level, that stuff is the same, whatever we are. Our brain cells, our nerve cells, our skin, our bones, our muscles, it's all, at a subatomic level, the same stuff as this floor is made of. Now, Peter and John and Paul were saying something with a similar resonance and profundity. They were saying that the divine life force of the universe, Christ Jesus, is in everything and holds everything together. Now, you know, this might sound strange, but just read those words. Through him, all things were made. How? Without him, nothing was made that has been made. How? Um, For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, invisible and and visible. How? He is before all things, and in him everything holds together. How? How does... How? (laughs) Do you ever ask that question yourself? How so? We don't know. Uh, We really don't know. But that's what they're saying. They're saying all of history, not just human history, archaeological history, geological history, astrophysical history, all history, even before the Big Bang... Okay, um, before all things, 
Paul says in Colossians. He not heard of the Big Bang at that point, but before all things, so now we might say before the Big Bang, he was. God existed, and even our use of the male pronoun there is, is just a metaphorical statement as well. But God was. It's hard to comprehend. When we talk about God, we need to accept that it's hard to understand. We, we, we put it into a, small, a smaller context that we can understand. Thank God that he did reveal himself to us in a human being so we could comprehend something of God. But we cannot fully comprehend God. We cannot fully comprehend the divine. And Peter, Paul, and John all believed that as well. And they believed that the divine DNA was literally in everything that we can experience and everything we cannot experience as well, which is also a mind-blowing statement. I mean, it's quite a conclusive statement as well, isn't it? You know, everything that we can experience and everything we can't. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a kind of killer statement, that, isn't it, really? You can't really argue with that. So... Look at the person next to you, literally look at them and say, you have got Christ's DNA in you. That's what Paul, Peter and John are saying. And it's a metaphor, it's not perfect, but you have got Christ's DNA in you. And you're made in God's image. You're made in Christ's image, okay? That means you look like Christ in some way. Like you're like a mini Christ. There's something about you. You know, when, when, if you had my kids here, I mean, one of them is here, I don't know where she is, but my, my two boys, you would say, oh, yeah, that you look like your dad. Not identical, but you look like your dad. And you, somehow you look like Claire as well. How is that? You look like Claire and you look like Owen. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing with God. When we look at each other, we see the image of Christ in one another. And we see the image of Christ in all things. This is, this is a scriptural basis, and it's, it's riven right through Jewish and Christian thought. So, to make this a bit more real, to make this a bit more real about seeing Christ, what we're going to do is we're going to repeat something we've done twice already, once with Sam uh, and once with Dan Maurice. We're going to interview someone, and we're going to interview them and see, ask them where they have seen Christ in their life. And, uh, and particularly, I've got an interesting uh, experience today where David's been away for three years in Hong Kong working with people who have drug addictions. And uh, I just having spoken to him an awful lot, not just recently since he's come back, but also during the time he's been there, I know you're going to be really blown away by his experiences. So would you give David a big round of applause as he joins me? <laughs> David, grab a microphone. Hello. Do you want to bring your chair forwards a little bit? Is that right? We are moving back. That's fine. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for being willing to share something of your story uh, today with us because I know, having known you for quite a long time, that you've definitely experienced something of Christ in your life, not just in the last three years. And we'll talk more about those three years in a minute. But sorry, we'll talk more about your life in a minute. But just tell us what you've been doing these last three years. Yeah, so um, the last three years I was... Uh, living, working in Hong Kong. I was working for uh, an organization called the St. Stephen Society. Um, so they do a bunch of different things, but the, the main focus has been uh, on helping drug addicts, um, helping mostly heroin addicts come off drugs and transform their lives. Um, so it was, it was started by a woman called Jackie Pullinger. You might have heard of her. 
um, and she wrote a book called Chasing the Dragon. So she, she actually went to Hong Kong um, in, I think, the 60s, so a long time ago, um, and she literally felt God tell her to, to go. So she got on a boat around the world and uh, felt like God told her to get off in Hong Kong. I think she knew one person in Hong Kong. Um, and then through a, a number of things, ended up helping um, addicts to, to get off drugs, to come to know Jesus, transform their lives. And yeah, 50 years later, uh, it's still going on. 50 years. That's ridiculous, isn't it? I, I, when we were talking with her the other day, I'd, I'd forgotten actually, she's in her 80s now, isn't she? Is that right? I, I think she's 79. I hope wow. she wouldn't mind me saying <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And she's still going full steam on this, isn't she? You could say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, you're, just so that people can get to know you a bit better, tell us a bit about your background, where were you born, your family, university, that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, I was born uh, in a Christian family. Both my parents, they met in a vineyard church, actually, in Birmingham. Um, and, and, yeah, when I was about, about eight years old, actually, my, my dad and then later my mum felt called to... Uh, to ministry in the Church of England, so they both became vicars. So I moved around quite a lot as a kid, um, and yeah, but they they always sort of took us to um, things like new wine, um, and then when when me and my sister were teenagers, even though we were going to churches without many teenagers, without many people our age, they made sure to take us to to youth groups that did have people our age. So. Um, so we went to the, the Birmingham Vineyard Youth, and then when we moved up north, we went to, uh, to the youth in the Leeds Vineyard. And, and so I got to know the vineyard and got to know DTI and things like that. And yeah, had a lot of encounters with, with God through that, which is really amazing. Um, yeah, and then when I was a student, so back in 2017, I came to Bristol as a student. Um, and uh, I thought I'd check out the vineyard, the first, first port of call. Um, yeah, and so I came, I came here. Actually, my first full day in Bristol, I came here. It was a Sunday, um, and I thought it was all right. And then I, I, came, I came back the, the next week, um, and yeah, I actually just like just sobbed through the worship. <laughs> uh, and there's like there's literally snot everywhere, um, and, I, and I just really felt like God was saying, "Oh, this, this is this is home. I've brought you here." And and I think He He meant Bristol, but also Seven, and yeah. So I. I then stayed there the next three years, stayed here the next three years, so, yeah. Yeah, and it's been great having you around us and, and in the community here for that period of time. Just to say those things you talked about, that new wine DTR, people might not know exactly what oh, those yeah. things are, but they're like Christian festivals, which actually are quite important events mm. in your life, aren't they? Yeah. Tell us more about how you've experienced Christ in those growing years. Did you, have you always had a sense of Christ in your life? From the moment you can, your first earliest memories. Yeah, I would say I would say that I, um, my, when I was growing up, my parents um, talked about Jesus. Uh, so I, I always had this this assumption that he was real, uh, that I, I knew him, um, that he loved me, and and yeah, like you said, with with new wine. Um, so new wine is like a sort of like a yeah, Christian festival, like sort of camping in the summer. And it's something we did pretty much every year in my childhood. And I'd had, so, I had some really yeah, impactful 
moments. I think, I think still today, one of the most impactful moments was when I was about 10 years old. Um, there was just like a big venue of 10 and 11 year olds. Uh, and this guy called Simon Gillibo came to speak. Um, and he was a, a missionary in, in Burundi in Africa. Um, and he, he just gave this talk to a load of 10 year olds about how he went when it was the most dangerous country in the world and he wasn't expecting to live to the age of 30, but he felt like God was calling him to do it, so he, so he did it. I, I thought that sounded pretty cool. And he told loads of amazing stories. Um, and then at the end of his talk, he was like, so who wants to do the same thing? Who, like, who feels called to actually um, like give, their, give their life for Jesus? Not, not, not necessarily dying for Jesus, but just living for Jesus and, and being willing to to die for Jesus. <laughs> he gave this talk to the 10 year olds. But I, I stood up, I was like, I feel, <laughs> I feel called to that. And, and I think um, that was the first moment I remember um, just feeling called to actually live for Jesus. And, and also in that moment, I felt a call to, to go overseas. Um, so yeah, I, and there were many more moments like that at things like New Wine and then DTI is like the Vineyard Youth Festival that I went to. Um, quite a lot, so, yeah. Can I ask, what, it might sound like an obvious question to some people, but what, why? What, why did you, like, feel this urge to give your, give up, when you say give your life, do you mean, like, what do you mean by that? That's probably <laughs> a, a good question. What, what do you mean to, to give your life to Jesus? That is a good question. Um, not, not the easiest one to answer, but let me try. <laughs> um, I think... I think by, by the age of sort of 10, 11, 12, I'd had experiences of God. I think especially when worshiping like we did this morning, I'd, I'd experienced, I'd felt a tangible sense of the love of God for me and his, his reality. And, and, um, and I, I felt like I, I knew him. Um, and then when someone like Simon Gillibo was speaking and talking about all these stories of, of miracles in Africa um, and this sense of call to, to just to when give, give your life, uh, to, to just be willing to sort of put your life in God's hands. And I, I remember uh, around that time as well, someone sort of prophesied over me this verse that stuck with me ever since, that, that, that Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I suppose when I say give your life, I mean just putting my life in the hands of God and trusting in his plans for my life and, and the future that he has for me, um, instead of sort of holding on to my own plans, my own desires. And I think that idea really excited me. When I heard Simon speak, I, I realized actually this guy has had such an amazing, exciting life of adventure that is only possible because he totally surrendered, totally gave God control of his life. Um, and I think something about that, even as a 10-year-old, just captivated my imagination. Yeah. yeah. And so I decided to do the same thing. Exactly. So, so the, 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 there was some resonance, was there, between this life of adventure that mm. you desired and, and the, the risk associated with trusting Christ um, for, for your future. There was, a, there was a resonance between those two things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. 
Okay, so you talked about um, DTI and the Dream the Impossible, the Youth Conference and Soul Survivor, I imagine mm. you meant as well, and, and a new wine. These were high points, obviously, in the year where you gather together with lots of people, mm. and in a context like this where your worship's quite a, an important context for you to experience God. Do you, have you experienced Christ, and I use the word Christ and God synonymously, um, do you, do you, can you talk about how you experience Christ in your everyday, like when you're eating breakfast or when you're kind of like the daily grind of your studies? Remind us what your degree was in? Chemistry. Chemistry. Yeah. So, how, how, I mean, can you experience Christ when you're in the lab? Probably could if you paid attention. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, think, I think, like I talked about a second ago, just having a sense of knowing Jesus. Um, uh, like when I say knowing, I, I mean less knowing about him, but like I, I felt throughout my childhood and into my teenage years that I knew him as a, as a friend, that I could talk to him, um, that he was with me wherever I went. So I think, and I think those, those sort of experiences at things like DTI New Wine made him more real which made it easier to, to trust him and to, to have relationship with him the rest of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, think I, I mean, I didn't enjoy chemistry. All the, all the talk of protons and neutrons this morning is giving me <laughs> flashbacks. Um, but I think definitely during, during my degree, uh, you know, just having God there helped me to I knew I was where I was meant to be, even though I wasn't enjoying the degree. And I, uh, having having God there, I just felt His comfort through that the whole thing, um, and was able to to just talk to Him about it. And I think that that carried on when it got a, a lot harder than the chemistry degree in Hong Kong to to have a re relationship with God, to be able to talk to God and and tell Him how I was feeling and 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 feel tangibly feel. Um, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, even if I didn't get any answers that I wanted, <laughs> um, was really helpful. Um, and also, yeah, I did sometimes feel like God was speaking to me and I was getting answers to my prayers. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you, you, you went to Hong Kong um, and you did something that I've not heard many 20, you were 21 when you went, when you, I've not heard many 21-year-olds do what this guy's done for three years. Because what you did was you literally gave up your own rights, really, didn't you, for three years? You know, you were like, first of all, you went in 2020. Obviously, something happened in 2020 that was pretty catastrophic here. Um, what month did you arrive in Hong Kong? I think it was September 2020, yeah. Yeah, so we just started COVID, and you went to Hong Kong, and what was the first thing you did? Like, you, you, you arrived in Hong Kong, what happened? So I, I had to quarantine for two weeks by myself uh, in a flat, which was interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you were quarantined for two weeks. You didn't know anyone there. No. Um, it was a, a cultural shock, probably. A little bit, yeah. 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 And, and then after those two weeks, you were let out of your room. What happened then? Uh, so, so then I went to, to live in this sort of center. They've got sort of like a rehab center. And so I, I was then just living in a dorm with like 15 other guys. 
Um, well, and were, these t were these team members, people who were like you? No, no, these, so the guys, we're living with the guys we were helping, and that's sort of how we help them, is we do life together. So, um, so, so just tell us, like, who are these guys? So, so these guys, um, well, they're, they're, almost all of them are, are addicted to, to drugs or maybe addicted to something, so maybe they're addicted to gambling uh, or alcohol. Um, and, yeah, they, I mean, they come to us through different ways. So they, they might be referred by a, a social worker or a uh, probation officer, but a lot of them we'll just, we'll just find sort of on the streets or in parks. Um, and we'll just find them taking drugs and we'll be like, do you want to come live with us? Um, and get off drugs. And a lot of them will say, will say yes, or will say yes eventually, after having been asked like five or six times. <laughs> okay, so, so you're living in a dormitory with um, people who are dealing with addiction. Um, and they're not just dealing with a kind of chronic addiction, they're, they're actually, in, when they come to you, they have to stop taking their drugs, don't they? Yeah. So for the first two weeks, they are in cold turkey, right? Yeah. What's that like? So, so yeah, for the first about two weeks of when a, a new man comes in, uh, we, we'd, we'd pray, just, we'd take it in shifts and just, and just pray solidly. So it'd be like four, four hour shifts maybe and you'd just be there for them constantly and just, just basically just praying for them, um, maybe chatting to them if they're awake or maybe if they're asleep or trying to sleep, just sat there uh, by their bed just, just praying for them. Um, often praying in tongues because uh, it's quite hard to talk to pray in Chinese or English for more than ten minutes. Um, so, so yeah, and we just and we'd so kind yeah. of like incomprehensible words because not not everyone necessarily yeah. will speak in tongues. So you mean like kind of it's almost like a song, isn't it? Like it, it, you don't know exactly the words you're using. That is is that how you describe it? Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so the gift of tongues. I mean, so we introduced them to the gift of tongues after we introduced them to Jesus, just because we found it really helpful uh, as a way of helping people to to through the withdrawal process. Of uh, it's sort of, I'd say it's, it's praying, praying with your with your heart, with your spirit, without needing to engage your mind. Uh, and it's a gift that uh, God gives us because it's really helpful for that purpose. Sometimes you don't have the words to say, the words to pray, but your spirit just wants to, to pray. And I think when you're withdrawing from drugs and your, your mind can't really function very well, to just, just be able to just pray in a language you don't, you don't know, you don't understand, but that God enables you to do is really, really helpful um, for them. And it's helpful for us to, to pray for them in that language as well. So you, so you do a four hour shift? Yeah, about that, yeah. So. Praying, in, praying constantly for four hours. Mm. Like, how many of those shifts did you do a day? So, so I didn't do a huge number in the daytime. So, um, what's really great is that the the guys themselves, after they've um, sort of withdrawn themselves, they will join the team in terms of praying for each other, serving each other. Right. So that the focus is very much sort of like the the new the new men. So it's almost like they're the the, the, the new baby that comes into the family and every, all the focus is around them. Yeah. And so we'll be um, just taking, the, so the guys themselves will be helping to pray for them. Uh, so most, most of the shifts I did were, were like night shifts. Um, what, like, like right through the night? So, so like, yeah, maybe like 10 p.m. till 2.30 a.m. Or, or maybe 2.30 a.m. till 7 a.m., which was a bit of a killer. And you managed to do that without falling asleep? 
But usually the second one, I'd probably fall asleep about 6 a.m. almost every time. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but then you wouldn't just then sleep throughout the day, would you? You'd then do a day's work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you were doing this like constantly. It, mm. Did you get day off? Yeah. So, so had a had a one day off a week. Yeah. One, one day off a week. The rest of the time, you were living in the dorm with the addicts that you're working with, and living in community with them, eating together, studying the Bible together, praying together. Like, what was the hardest thing about that experience for you? I mean, I think definitely when I first arrived, I found it hard just to have no space to myself because I'm I'm quite an introvert. I think I'm a little bit less of an introvert than I used to be. Um, but I, yeah, I just love having time and space to myself, and I had neither because um, I, I was, you know, twenty-four-six, basically just surrounded by people, um, and and yeah, I had, had just just a bed to myself, but you know, um, just in, in a dorm room. Uh, so I found that really difficult. Um, but but I mean, God really really helped me to overcome that. I think, um, as in, I, I realised that that even though I, I, I still am an introvert, that, that God could help me through that and I didn't, my personality didn't have to limit me. Um, yeah. And you did that for three years? Yeah, so I, so I, lived, I lived there in that dorm for like two years um, and then for a few months I lived in like a flat in, in the city in Hong Kong with some other people, yeah. Now, just remind us, you're obviously fluent in, you were fluent in Cantonese when you went there, right? I mean, fluent is a strong word. But I, no, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't speak any Cantonese when I went there. Okay, so you're living in a dorm, 24-6. You're praying constantly for, for addicts. You are living in community with a bunch of people who don't speak the same language as you. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? To I mean, that doesn't sound like a bundle of fun to me, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I asked myself that question a lot when I was there, especially to start with. Yeah. Um, the first six months were pretty difficult. Um, but I, I think I, I had a, I mean, like I talked about with that story of Simon Gillibo, I had this, this conviction that, this, that God was sort of calling me to a life of adventure that if I surrendered my life to, to God and gave him control, then I would have a better life than I could ever plan for myself. So, so I think that, that really helped get me through. But also I, I just felt like God was, God, it was where God was leading me. Um, I, I felt like God had spoken to me before I went and said, just, just go, this is, the, this is the place to go. Right, and that sustains you. And that sustained me. And I think, as well, I could, I could really see the, the difference in myself. I could really see that what I was doing was, was worthwhile, um, because I was seeing people's lives change around me. But I was also seeing the change in myself and how God was growing and maturing me. And, and it just felt, I just had a really sure sense that this, this was where God wanted me to be for that season. And without that, I would have, I would have run away, because it, yeah, it was quite difficult. <laughs> I love your. I love the understatement that you're bringing us to this with. Listen, tell us about where you saw Christ in the lives of the people you were ministering to. Yeah. Um, so, so um, 
we'd often say that the, the drug addiction was just like a symptom of the, the deeper problems, that it was just sort of a surface level problem and, and they had lots of other problems and lots of other symptoms as well. Uh, and I, I, just, I just remember this, this, this one guy, one of the, one of the only guys who was, who was younger than me when I was there. And I, I remember when he came in and he was, he was just a bit of a jerk, really. As in, like, he, <laughs> he didn't care about anyone but himself. He was you know, as, as lazy as you could be um, and just sat around and just wanted everyone else to sort of serve him and get out of his way. And then just, just, seeing, just seeing his transformation. I lived with him for, for over a year and just seeing him go from that, that person to becoming someone who really cared about other people, who they would ask, how, how are you? Who would like be wanting to help, who would be really excited and passionate about going and telling his friends about Jesus and about how they could get off drugs. And yeah, he came off drugs, which is great, but also like just the transformation in his entire person was just amazing to see. And, and, and there's, you, can't, you can't teach that and you can't, there's no program that will do that. Like, it was, it was seeing that, that Jesus was, I mean, he, he met Jesus and, and had that relationship with Jesus and, and no, understanding that Jesus loved him really transformed him. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell another story. Um, but there, I mean, there's this, there's this one guy who, and I, I mean, I haven't told the story without crying before, so I'll try now. Um, but but um, he, when he came in, he was, um, like he, you, you could tell he was a heroin addict. He was like so, so thin. You know, he he looked like close to death, um, and he, you know, he was he was for like maybe over a month he couldn't really do anything, like because he was just so like he was withdrawing from drugs and he was just he'd been addicted to heroin for I think over thirty years and this was the first time he'd ever tried to get off drugs, um, and. And yeah, and he he was married, but he hadn't seen his wife or any of his family for over ten years. Um, and and yeah, and he came in and he, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm trying. <laughs> Take your time. But yeah, he came in, and he he met Jesus, and and he got he got off drugs, and then he got baptized, and um, and yeah, sorry, just yeah. and then and at his baptism, um, his father came and his wife came, and he like apologized to them and and was reconciled to them, and his father was like, "Is this the same guy who was my son?" What is it that touches your heart about this one particularly? Sorry, I'm not telling the story very well because I can hear myself. Right. But, but I mean, and then, and that was amazing. And he got baptized and he was reconciled to his family. And, but I mean, the thing that I can't forget was um, he said to me very seriously, and he wasn't like from a church background. He, no one had told him to say this. But like early on, he said to me, David, you know, it was, it was like I was dead. <laughs> yeah. 
He said, yeah, it's like I was dead and now I'm alive. And you saw that radical transformation in him, did you? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, mate, that's, that's exactly what's happened, you know? And, you know, he didn't know that was, like, biblical language, but he, he knew, like, he, like he, was, he was dead without Jesus and, and that Jesus gave him life. Um, and it was, yeah, it was amazing to see that. And I suppose that, that story in particular just really touched me because he was sort of the... I mean, he was sort of like the archetype of like, that encapsulated so much of what I saw. Yeah, yeah. And so much of what we were trying to, trying to do, just trying to, because we, we knew there's, I mean, for guys who've been addicted to heroin for like 30, 40 years, and like all they've been doing all day is just sleeping in the park and injecting heroin. I mean, like no program can fix that. Um, and there's no, you can't teach someone not to be a drug addict. Like the only hope is Jesus. And, uh, and yeah, that's what, we were, that's what we were trying to do. It's amazing. Yeah. And your own experiences, you talked about how you've seen Christ make a difference in the lives of the guys you were ministering to, but what about you? What's Christ done differently? In you? Why is you, why, are you different because of your experiences of Christ in that moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite different. It's quite, it's quite difficult to remember what I was like before. Um, I think it's some, some, some things are the same. A lot's the same. I'm still the same person, which but, is great. Which is we good. love you the way you are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I mean I, I matured a lot through that process. So I mean, when I went, I was 21, just straight out of uni. Didn't have a huge amount of life experience. Um, kind of thought I knew more than I did know, probably, um, and. And yeah, you get there and you realize, oh, I, I don't know anything about anything. You know, like, how do we even begin to help these guys? And I didn't speak the language and, and I didn't have a clue what to do. So I think through that, I mean, I already mentioned with, with sort of my, my personality of being an introvert and not wanting to really to be around people the whole time. Through, through that process, like, God matured me and transformed me massively. Um, and I, I suppose I think the main thing was just just learning to trust God. I think I'd always had this concept of, yeah, you can trust God even in the darkest situation. And I'd had that as a concept in my mind. And it got me through like a chemistry degree, but really in retrospect, a chemistry degree was not the hardest thing. <laughs> you know, not, um, and then, and then you're, you're faced with the situation. And, I, and there were times where I was thinking, yeah, why have I come here? You know, this is, this is really difficult. And you'd see people that you're trying to help um, they just sort of run away without saying goodbye and, and, you know, and then they maybe come back and run away again and you're like, is this even worth it? Um, but having this, having this sense of God um, with me through it, I think he really taught me to, to trust him um, and to trust what he was doing um, and that even though you might see people run away and come back, run away, like he's still working and and all he's asking us to do is just to love people and just to show show them himself show them jesus and that's all we can do and and just to keep loving people even when they do run away and come back or even when they do sort of throw a total tantrum or try and hit you you know like you just have to keep loving them um and forgiving them and that that doesn't mean being you know soft on them like you need to tell people 
actually you can't you can't hit me um, but, but 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 you still you still love them you know um, and uh, and yeah I think I think just God's been just teaching me yeah so much and and sort of imperceptibly through that process I, I grew as a person I matured and most of it is just I think learning to trust Jesus instead of myself um, instead of being self-confident to become confident in in God's ability uh, to use me, even when I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you know, you talked to me a, a couple of weeks back about that. There came a point where you were put in charge of one of the houses, weren't you? And you were responsible for everything that went on in that house, like you know the food the kind of the, the activities for the men during the day uh, welcoming uh, new members to the family and praying for them as they go through those that two-week withdrawal you you were that, that that sounded like one of the most challenging things you'd ever done and you said then to me like actually it was this sense of I have no idea how to do this and I'm just leaning into God to give me what I need to do that right that that was quite a profound experience for you wasn't it yeah yeah so with that, all that in mind, I mean, like, I, I, don't know, I, mean, I don't know how many of you guys have done something like this when you were 21 years old. I know I didn't. Um, I, I, how is your future going to shape up? Do you think, what's, if there's one thing that you've taken from this three years of pain, I mean, you've had joy in it, but it's been hard, hasn't it? Let's be honest, it's been really tough. And, and although we joke about COVID, China's only just reopened its borders and eased restrictions. And also you've been through, in Hong Kong, real political upheaval and, and, and social change anyway, haven't you, in Hong Kong? You've become fluent in Cantonese. Are you going back? What, what's the plan? Are you, have you got any thoughts? Is there one thing that you could say I'm gonna take forwards in my life from this experience? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I never really felt called to to Hong Kong for the for the long term. Um, I mean, fluent is a strong word. I have learned Cantonese now, um, but but I think I think that sort of experience it, it changes you and marks you in a way that is is irreversible. Yeah. And I think in a way it was sort of an acceleration um, because uh, you know a lot of the things. I was passionate about. I was passionate about before going. You know, I was passionate about um, helping the lost and the broken and, and introducing them to Jesus. Um, and and I think, but I think when you've when you've lived with people like that um, for for three years and you get to know them and you really you really experience what I've experienced. You know, you see just the pain and the brokenness um, in them. Um, and just the, the yeah the joy that comes from 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 living with them from from sort of laying down your own life to see them have life. Um, there's nothing like that that joy that you experience seeing Jesus work like that, and and you realise I think that 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 is the gospel. That's the the mechanism of the gospel. Really is is that as we as we lay down ourselves we we see other people have life and we see we see that and i think i knew these things conceptually but just to see them in reality just to see how much 
how just how messy and how broken people are and how much love they need and how persistent that needs to be. I think I can't shake that now. I can't go back to my old way of thinking, my old life where I was, I, yes, I would care about the poor and the broken, but I suppose I'd probably compartmentalize a bit and want to, you know, have my own life most of the time and then sometimes do things that help the poor and the broken. I mean, after experiencing what I've experienced, you just, you realize that the only thing that, that works <laughs> is, is just welcoming people into your own life, welcoming people and their, and their own brokenness and their mess into your life, which is a re really challenging thing. But actually that's what, I think that's what Jesus did. I think that's what the early church did is they just, and we're all broken, but just, just, just welcoming the, the brokenness and the mess of other people into your own life and seeing Jesus transform people through that. Um, I, don't, I can't shake that now. And, you know, I can't go back to thinking, oh, this is, you know, the serving the poor and the broken is just something I can do once a week. You know, you know it's got to become a, a, a lifestyle, I guess. I think that's, that's really what Jesus is, is calling us to. So you, you've um, moved into St. Paul's with Emma and Chris, and you, uh, although Jackie uh, asked me to make sure that you didn't come back and twiddle your thumbs in, in a theological school, um, you are going to go and do some theology uh, with Jackie's words ringing in your ear that she never met anyone who came out of a theological school more on fire than they were when they went into that theological school. <laughs> so uh, you're going to be doing some theology anyway, and you're also going to be joining the Vineyard Leadership Programme as well, which is our National Vineyard Leaders Development Programme, which and you're going to be uh, based here at seven doing that so we're excited to be working with you um but you know for me when i look at what's gone on in your life over the last three years and obviously watching you as well as a student here in bristol part of seven and um i just think that god's really god's really touched your life in a profound way and there is a, a real resonance between your sense of adventure and and what god has kind of Kind of inspiring you with really and the experiences you've had and so we're we're really excited for you i'm also i'm also super impressed i just want you to know i'm super impressed with him right i am super impressed he's 21 years old so he was 21 years old he went off and did three years in hong kong he's now 24. you are um with a with a heart that says i am willing to pay whatever price it is to help love other people and and show other people particularly people who are in need um, with uh, the love of God, then you know I think you're only going to continue to do that throughout your life. You've made a great start to that, and we are inspired by you and encouraged by you. Uh, we don't all have to follow your example, but uh, in the sense that we don't all have to go and work in Hong Kong with drug addicts. But at the same time, what we do recognise is the heart that you have, and we want to bless that, and we want to bless that, and, and we want to be blessed by that as well. So. Um, yeah, can I just pray before we wrap up? Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you so much for David and for the example that you've made in him to each of us. We pray that um, his example would, um, there would be something, just deposit something in our hearts from, this, from his story. Not that we would all end up working in Hong Kong, but that we would all be enriched by his willingness to serve and his willingness to sacrifice. And would you, would you, would you carry that on in him um, and may this passion that he has and these experiences as he has, may they not fade, 
May they only grow in intensity. And may we fan that into flame in you, David, uh, so that you might go on to become someone who makes such a difference to the lives of people who are broken and in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.